in our life we all have pain we all have sorrow but if we are wise we know that there's always tomorrow lean on me when you're not strong and i'll be your friend sure it was an accident, sweetheart. An eye for an eye. That's what Dad always says. I never said that, honey. Shut up! Time to teach Peter a lesson. Marsha, eat a Snickers. Why? You get a little hostile when you're hungry. Better? Better. Marsha, Marsha, Marsha. Jan, this isn't about you. It never is! Hey, good morning, Storyline. Spencer, are you back there with my lights, or Taylor? There I am. Hey, good morning. So, yes, I, uh, that uh, commercial's um, a reference to the Brady Bunch kids. That was a TV show back when they were square and big, huge cubes. Anyways, uh, so good morning. It's good to be together. I, um, I hope you're having a great summer. I'm really having a good summer. Um, and I actually read some good news this week, and so I thought, you know what, I'm going to start with this. Ready? I read, I read a poll that said the majority of Americans think that life is basically back to normal. Now, how about that, right? Does that let's give us a hand for that, right? Now, and then the next poll that I read said that, unfortunately, we've never been less happy. And so... It's like, oh boy, it's like a one-two punch there. But have you noticed sometimes that even when we get what we want or what we think we want, it isn't enough? And we discover that we were actually hungry for something else. That happens to me all the time. Like, and I usually think maybe it's a second or a third bowl of ice cream. 
It's usually the fourth before I figure it out. But we've been reading through the book of John this summer, and there are so many themes like this that keep coming up, like our desire for satisfaction, our longing for peace and for purpose, and what Jesus calls the abundant life. And um, that's definitely one of these things that is a theme that keeps coming up in the book of John. Like, what do you want? What are you after? What do you think life is for? Last week, Paul shared about a man who really wanted to be healed next to a pool and what, that, what it took for, for that to happen. Uh, the week before, we talked about a woman at a well who is desperately thirsty for much more than water. We've also read about a, waiting, uh, a wedding banquet this summer together that runs short on wine and what Jesus does about that situation. And also, Jesus' very first words and how they were really confusing to his very first followers when he stopped and turned to them and said, what do you want? It all seems to be around this theme of hunger, longing, desire, thirst. And this week, as we look into chapter six of the book of John, his biography of the life of Jesus, this theme of need and desire comes up again, but this time in the form of actual hunger. Now, fortunately, as modern Americans, and I say this with all sincerity, this problem is one that we have trouble relating to because hunger just isn't an issue for the vast majority of us. So I think it'd be helpful for us before we jump in this morning to begin our, as we begin our consideration of Jesus's miracle of feeding 5,000 people by remembering that for most of the people who've ever lived, having enough to eat day to day, sometimes even meal to meal was and Tragically, for far too many people, even in 2022, it still is the primary, the driving concern for life. Now, we know that there were huge eras and and time swaths of prehistoric and ancient man that they struggled to find water or adequate shelter or even a modicum of, like, safety from others or wild animals. But these challenges would... These challenges would always kind of come and go, but for the vast majority of human history, for the vast majority of human beings, food, nourishment, enough caloric intake per day has been the guiding, really you could call it the commanding reality for all of life. I mean, it's, it's really, really difficult for us to imagine this, but if you could, I was reading one um, historian, and he said, if you could take the average human being who's ever lived, like you threw every human being who's ever been alive, and you took the average of them in every single way, age, life situation, race, gender, location, time frame, that the average human being, starting from the edges, would be, you'd find that this person is a young probably far eastern woman with at least one child who is vulnerable to all kinds of threats, but her existential, her ongoing crisis would be food. Food for her and for her child. It's the one thing she can never get away from. It's this feeling of constantly being hungry. And this was certainly true for many of the people in Jesus' time in ancient Israel. Famines occurred, sometimes naturally, sometimes they were man-made. They were commonplace. Uh, But even when things got back to normal, food insecurity was usually part of normal. It was a constant companion for most people. And again, I think for us, it's just, I was really thinking about this this week and like what's the closest that I get to this and you know as we're sitting here right now what would it be like what would it feel like to maybe know where your next meal is coming from but not totally sure how you're going to put that together for the meal after that or the meal after that I mean can you imagine how preoccupied you would be with that It's very difficult to think about other things when you don't know when you're going to eat. So I get, and and I know that for me, the closest I could get to it, and I'm embarrassed to say it, but it's like when we're on road trips and I see, you know, that the the next Wendy's is like 10 miles away. I get nervous. I'm like, I don't know if I can make it that far, right? 
Now, let's also remember before we jump into John this morning that he purposely calls all of Jesus' miracles signs. He doesn't really use the word miracle that much. He uses the word signs. And that means that there is something more to them. Something is going on beyond just what is happening that, for people to see. And, and so these are signs. Um, these signs are certainly about what Jesus did, but they're also very much about the way he did them. Okay? So real quickly, as an example of a, a miracle being a sign, I'm just going to go back to a few weeks ago where we talked about Jesus turning water to wine at this wedding banquet. It wasn't just a miracle. It was also a sign revealing he was transforming the water of religion because remember he took the water that was used for religious purposes, the water that when you showed up, you've got to wash with this water. You've got to get yourself cleaned up for God. You've got to be good enough to get in. He took that water and turned it in, that water of religion, and turned it into the wine of grace. Like if you thought you had to do that to get in, that wasn't even available anymore. You were just handed the wine. Come on in as you are. In other words, that miracle was a sign pointing to grace. It's pointing to grace. So the miracle that we're going to look at this morning, this feeding of the 5,000, it's also one of Jesus' most famous um, miracles. And if it wasn't a sign, if it was just, you know, a miracle, we could go home like, hey, guess what? This one time at band camp, we ran out of food. Jesus showed up. He made all these, you know, hot pockets, and we were good to go, right? Which is exactly what you want at band camp, I think. But... um, so he, you know, he created food out of a, a nothing. It was amazing. If that was the point, but it's not the point, which is why Jesus, call, which is why John always refers to it as a sign. So, so this miracle is also a sign, and signs always point us towards something else. A sign is never the point. It is the pointer. A sign is never the point. It is the pointer. So the way Jesus did this is telling us something about him, or God, or grace, or about ourselves, or maybe all of the above, okay? And the question is, what? So that's the question that I want to invite us to kind of live with as we walk into looking at this story in John 6. What is this a sign for? What is Jesus pointing us toward in John 6? And this is also the place where I try to say, if not every week, almost every week, once again, that I don't have the answer to that question. I I am not a biblical scholar. I'm not the Bible answer man. So I'm not up here telling everybody what it is. I'm just wondering. I'm wondering out loud. I'm sharing the questions that have come up for me as I've looked at this really amazing story of Jesus feeding 5,000 people. So... um, That's what we're going to look at. One last important detail, besides the resurrection of Jesus, this miracle of the feeding of the 5,000 is the only story that appears in all four of the biographies of Jesus in the Bible. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. The resurrection of Jesus and the feeding of the 5,000. It's those two stories that are the only two that are common through all four of them, which is really great for us because it means that we not only are going to read John's account, but we're going to we're going to borrow from the other two or two or three of the other ones to kind of fill, to round out what's happening here. But John records it like this. This is what the Bible says. A great crowd of people followed Jesus because they saw the signs he had performed by healing the sick. Then he went up to a mountainside and sat down with his disciples. When Jesus looked up and saw a great crowd coming toward him, he said to Philip, Where shall we buy bread for these people to eat? Now, in other accounts, that's not how it goes. In other accounts, it says that it was the disciples who told Jesus, like, we've got to send these people away. We've got to send this crowd away. It's time to eat. And Jesus stopped them and said, you feed them. (laughs) Okay, back to John. Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, spoke up. Here's a boy with five small barley loaves and two small fish, but how far are they going to go among so many? And Jesus said, have the people sit down. Now in Mark, 
And in Luke's account, Jesus instructed them specifically to sit in groups of 50. So to take this massive crowd of 5,000 men, and then however many people are with each man, right, and break them up into groups of 50, all right? All right, back to John. About 5,000 men were there. Jesus then took the loaves, gave thanks, and distributed those who were seated as much as they wanted. He did the same with the fish. When they had all enough to eat, he said to his disciples, gather the pieces that are left over. Let nothing be wasted. So they gathered them and filled the 12 baskets with the pieces of five barley loaves left over by those who had eaten. Now, as always, we're, we are only scratching the surface of this story. We could talk about this story for the rest of this summer. We could talk about it for much longer than that. And I am pretty sure that I am going to take this in a direction that's not exactly a well-worn path. So bear with me, okay? Um, bear with me. But to me and for me, this scene resonates most deeply, not around the miracle of creating lots of food out of a little food, but it points to what can happen in us and among us when we are transformed from a crowd into a community. So the line that I want to focus on here, the one that jumps off the page for me, is actually one that Luke says about this story. Jesus said to his disciples, have them sit down in groups of about 50 each. Now, I don't know for sure what's going on here about why he did this miracle that way, but I think Jesus might be tapping in to, once again, the essence of our real issue. Like these folks think they're hungry. Like Jesus said, you know, the water to wine was a sign that we're thirsting for more than religious purity can give us. We're longing for grace. Well, Jesus here might be trying to tell us something about ourselves, that we can be desperately lonely, hungry for belonging, even in a, even in a crowd, even in a religious crowd. You can call it a decision I say it's how we made There's no point in shouting from your island Proclaiming only Jesus saves There will always be suffering There Everybody gets lonely. Feel like 
it's automatic. Reaching out there's some connection. Maybe it's just their own reflection. Not everybody finds it. Not like the two of us. Sometimes all anybody needs is a human touch. Sometimes all anybody needs is a human touch. Jackson Brown and the Brady Bunch this morning. Wow. Anybody under 40 is like lost today. Sorry. So is this why Jesus had them sit in groups of 50? I mean, could it be because we all need this human touch? I love this line in here. Maybe it's a decision. Maybe we're, we were just made for it. Is Jesus, is Jesus showing us what it looks like to live in grace the necessity of moving from the crowd into community you know there's a fascinating passage in genesis where god says something absolutely astounding like incredible to adam the first man this is what it says then the lord god said it is not good for you to be alone i will make you an ally for you but here's the thing Adam wasn't alone. It says right in the Bible that Adam was with God, that he walked with God in the garden in the cool of the day. And, and we did an entire talk on this years ago, and I titled it, God is Not Enough. Now, you can imagine maybe how that went over, and it went not well. I mean, the talk, I think, went okay. But that later that week, someone called me up because we put the talks online with a little you know, thing, and it says, you know, that week's talk. God is not enough, says Mike Gathright. I'm like, oh man, I, you know, that, that doesn't look great. But someone actually called me and said, Mike, I don't even need to listen to this talk. And I know that I disagree with it. Of course God is enough. Where'd you get this crazy idea that God's not enough? Now, I promise you that I tried not to enjoy this moment in a snotty way, okay? <laughs> but, I, but I did have a little bit of fun when I got to tell him I got the idea from God. And then I read him Genesis 2.18 and he was like, Okay, well, yeah, I guess that's a good point, right? <laughs> and we see this even in the life of Jesus, too. He is the, the Bible says Jesus is the author and perfecter of our faith, and yet he still longs for companionship. We see it over and over. God incarnate, living among us, reaches out to his friends more than once in, in, this, in his story. He hungers for community. And as crazy as this seems, it really, 
it really isn't surprising because the Bible also teaches that God is a community. God, Father, Son, Holy Spirit is a community, and, and we are made in God's image. So it shouldn't be that surprising that it's not good for us to be alone. And, and modern science seems to confirm this ancient wisdom. British anthropologist Robin Dunbar um, was one of many anthropologists who discovered that animals, many animals, almost all animals, live in some form of community. It's almost universal. So for, for instance, we have a flock of birds, right? Everybody knows that. But okay, so now here's quiz time for storyline, right? Do you know what a community of apes is called? Anybody? Shrewdness. How about that? Yeah, I saw it on the internet. I know that's true, right? How about a community of crows? Murder, right, yep. Okay, for elephants, it's a parade, which makes sense. There's a basque of crocodiles. I love this one. A drove of donkeys. What about eagles? This is so cool for eagles. A community of eagles is known as a convocation. Isn't that cool, right? So you can have a business of ferrets or a shadow of jaguars. That is really cool. And of course, my favorite, and let's see, I don't think anyone will get this. Let's see if anyone gets this. A hot mess is a community of middle schoolers. That's right. There's my, there's my middle school teaching buddy right there. Yes. Hot mess. I threw that in because I did Kidport the other week, and man, it was the, so fun. Okay. Anyways, <laughs> I, it really was. I'm not kidding. Dunbar found something else very interesting as he studied this, that there's a correlation between our brain size and the size of the social group that a species will form into. Not all the time, but usually. And so by using the human brain, he extrapolated that he proposed what is now known as Dunbar's number. And this is the average, what the average human being, like the number of relationships they're capable of maintaining. And that number is 150, okay? It seems that our desire for others then is not only biblical, it's actually biological, and yet it's limited. So here's how I take that. In other words, it's not just a crowd that we hunger for, it's a community. Dunbar theorized that this limit, like how big our community, how, how many people can feel like a community to us, is a direct function of the relative size of our neocortex. Now, this is starting to get a little above my head, all right, but I read that and I immediately thought, sheesh, I must be some kind of like marsupial or something. You know, my neocortex, because, like, I don't have a big capacity for lots of relationships. My wife, on the other hand, she may be an alien. Okay? She didn't like that joke, but anyway. The point is, we were made to be in relationships. Not alone, but with companions. Not in crowds, but in community. And here's what I'm wondering as I read this story about the feeding of the 5,000. Is this Jesus showing his earliest followers that they may be hungry for food? And so he breaks them into the thousands, into communities of 50 to show them what they're actually really hungry for. Because now they're going to sit face to face and share a meal together. If you have, um, if I were to ask you, what is the average size of an American church, would you be surprised to find, I want you to think of a number right now, the average size of, a, of the American church, right? <laughs> yeah, I know. <laughs> would you be surprised to find that it's 65 people? <laughs> That's the average church. That makes this a mega church, people, right? <laughs> So the first time I spoke at Storyline, or, or what would be Storyline, there were eight people there, and I was related to four of them, <laughs> right? 
The next time, there were less than 50, or less than 30. And when Storyline's average broke through 150 and then through 200, a lot of things started to change because it can start to feel like a crowd and not a community, right? Some things can be lost if we aren't careful. We get lost in crowds, right? Or if you're like me, you hide in them. That's, that's, my, that's how I play it. So one of the dreams that God has given us as a community is that for the church to get bigger, it has to get smaller. It has to get smaller. And this is why we place such a high value on trying to get folks together in different settings at different times to sit in circles and not rows, to be face-to-face, or to go shoulder-to-shoulder and serve people or hike together or whatever it might be. But Um, community groups, book studies, hiking groups. In fact, when when Storyline first started, a friend of mine who's a professional church planter told me, he said, Mike, this is probably not going to work. In fact, he didn't use the word probably, all right? He said, because you guys have two big ideas. You have two big ideas. You're trying to do this thing on Sunday morning, and he still didn't understand what we were trying to do, probably because I don't. And so, Um, He goes, you're trying to do this thing on Sunday morning, and you're trying to do all these small groups and home churches, all all these things, and you can't have two big ideas. And I told him, I'm sure you're right, and we're gonna do it anyway. (laughs) Because we really feel like this is what God was inviting us into, turning the water of religion into the wine of grace. And that means an all-access, radically inclusive Sunday morning environment and breaking into smaller groups together, moving, helping people move from the crowd into community. And by the way, I meant what I said to him. I, I thought for sure Storyline would fail. For 18 years, I peek around this corner, I'm like, I guess we're doing this again. I, there's people here. So how? What is going on? Well, there's a lot of speculation by biblical scholars about exactly how Jesus produced all of this food. Of course, nobody knows. The Bible doesn't say, so no one knows for sure, but one theory that is intriguing to me, and I'm not claiming this is what happened, it's just an intriguing theory to me, is that the food actually came from the people that were already there. You see, folks in this crowd could very well have had enough food for themselves when they showed up. Like, it would not have been very wise for people suffering from food insecurity like they do to hike out into the boonies without any food. And so some scholars believe that somehow Jesus produced the food by inspiring people to share what they already had with one another. Now that is not something that you would normally do in a crowd, but it might be something you do in a community. It's easy to keep what we have to ourselves when we're all alone, or even just one person in a crowd. It's much more difficult to think only about ourselves when we are in a healthy community. Either we heal as a team, or we're gonna crumble, inch by inch, play by play till we're finished. We're in hell right now, gentlemen. Believe me. And we can stay here or we can fight our way back into the light. We can climb out of hell. One inch at a time. You know, when you get old in life, things get taken from. I mean, that's, that's, that's part of life. But you only learn that when you start losing stuff. You find out life's this game of inches. So is football. Because in either game, life or football, the margin for error is so small. I mean, one half a step too late or too early, and you don't quite make it. One half second too slow, too fast, you don't quite catch it. The inches we need are everywhere around us. They're in every break of the game, every minute, every second. 
On this team, we fight for that itch. We claw with our fingernails for that itch. Because we know when we add up all those inches, that's going to make a difference between winning and losing. in front of your face. Now, I can't make you do it. You gotta look at the guy next to you. Look into his eyes. Now, I think you're gonna see a guy who will go that inch with you. You're gonna see a guy who will sacrifice himself for this team because he knows when it comes down to it, you're gonna do the same for him. That's the team, gentlemen. And Either we heal now as a team or we will die as individuals. Okay, so just for review, we've got the Brady Bunch, Jackson Brown, and Al Pacino right on the cutting edge today, aren't I? I love this, the, the six inches in front of your face. The six inches in front of your face. You know, some psychologists are beginning to believe that the record high levels of unhappiness in America stem from a general feeling many have of life being out of control. Like, it's, when we get beyond six inches, it's like chaos. Now, it's not true that in the past that we controlled more than we do now not as individuals at least, but for the last 30 years or so in America, I mean, you, you take out 9-11 as an exception or maybe the financial crisis in 2008 as an exception that really almost proved this rule, which is that for the last 30, 40 years maybe even, America has been unbelievably stable and peaceful and prosperous. So much so it's, un, it's unprecedented and, but, and so much so that we've kind of begin to think like, oh, this is normal, but it isn't. This isn't what life, you know, the last 30 years, that kind of stability and peace and prosperity and predictability and seeming control that we have over life, that's not normal. Most human beings do, have not lived that way. Just like most human beings throughout history have struggled with some form of food insecurity, most human beings have, have lived much shorter, more difficult, and way less predictable and stable lives than we enjoy. So what's been happening now is that things have become so unpredictable the last couple years that when things around us are changing faster than we can, according to some social psychologists, we are suffering from two different kinds of stress. I thought this was interesting. One is fatalism. Fatalism on the one hand, which is like a certainty that the chaos is going to end badly. All right? And if that is kind of where you're at, like this is inevitable, right? We're heading towards the lighthouse here. But by the way, um, this not only cultivates feelings of despair, but also lots of feelings of resentment and anger as we look for people to blame for why there is this chaos. And yes, I'm talking to me on that one, okay? On the other hand, there's anxiety, which is really stress about uncertainty. So you have fatalism, which I'm certain this is going to go badly, and then anxiety is this, this general stress about the instability is never going to end. Either way, the research is, is suggesting that the best way to proceed forward, I, and I love this phrase, I've learned this from my friends in recovery programs, it's to do the next right thing. Do the next right thing. Look, we all know, and if we didn't know it in the la before the last two or three years, we know it now, that we can do very little about the existential issues of life. And I'm not saying, therefore, don't try, or it's futile. I'm suggesting that current research is pointing us away from fixating on the chaos that's beyond our reach and the unpredictability of the world writ large, but rather to step out of that crowd that's totally focused on all of that and to re-engage with community, with what's right in front of us, with who 
is right in front of us. The next best step might be to focus on the six inches in front of us. Not on the entire world, not on all the existential crises that the the, the nightly news screams at us or social media bombards us with. That's too big. That's too much. It's totally out of our control. But we can decide to sit in smaller groups and share what we have with one another and create pockets of grace. But lost or hiding in a crowd, we can get mired in things that are they're just too big. They're just too big. When we move from the crowd into community, when we are on a team, then we begin to focus on the six inches in front of us, the six people who are with us, and then we experience a sense of peace and purpose, a sense of satisfaction. Maybe, I don't know, maybe that's what Jesus is doing here. To me, it's the genius of Jesus. This is not just a miracle to feed 5,000 people beginning with a little boy's lunch, but it's the miracle of transforming a crowd into community. It is a sign pointing to how can we, how we could live together, even in the instability and unpredictability of life in the ancient world or now life in our modern one. I read this chilling article last week about mass shootings mass shooters actually and it's like it kept me up at night it's just so grim right it's just so horrible aspect of modern life but one of the people that they interviewed actually wasn't a mass shooter he was prepared to be he had all the bombs all the guns all the weapons he was arrested on the way into the school they caught him just before entering the school with all these weapons. And at the time, he was a student at that school. And now they've interviewed him years later, and this is what he said. I wanted attention. If someone would have come up to me and said, you don't have to do this. We accept you. I would have broken down and given up. This is one of the threads that runs through almost all of these horrific events and these perpetrators is that they were lost in the crowd together but all alone when what they needed, what he needed was what he was made for. Community, acceptance, belonging. George Bernard Shaw has a great line. He says, the worst sin towards our fellow creatures is not to hate them, but to be indifferent to them. That's the essence of inhumanity. Maybe the miracle of the feeding of the 5,000 is not what Jesus did, but how he did it. That's the sign. He invited people out of the hungry crowd and into the nourishing mystery of community. The Bible quotes God as saying something, again, just completely unpredictable, completely astounding in the book of Genesis. It's amazing. Listen to this. This is what God says. Let us make humanity in our image, in the likeness of ourselves. One of my wife's favorite writers wrote this comment about this verse. The use of the plural pronoun here seems to be an amazing ancient reference to what Christians would later call the Trinity, which is the revelation of the nature of God as community, as relationship itself, a mystery of perfect giving and perfect receiving. To be accepted and to belong, this give and take of relationship, this is the mystery that we were made from which means it's the mystery that we were made for. And maybe it's only when we're immersed in it that we can be a little bit less hungry and a little bit more ourselves.
inside my heart I need to know you Swim this unknown sea And follow me shallow grave pray to find strength to crawl and strength to climb up to the surface and tie my hands sorrow had a purpose but it's time to stand cause I just want to be loved by you cannot resist the need to give Whatever you do, I will be there. Son, I will follow you anywhere to the mystery. Love is not a cage. Love is not a path. Love is a steady hand walking for the storm to pass. Love me then when you needed me. Will you still love me when it's not easy? Cause I just wanna be loved by you. Can I refuse to begin to hear you say it? Whatever you do, I will be there. Son, I will follow you anywhere. We are sons and daughters. We are flesh and dust. We are pulled from the wreckage. We are not alone. We are lovers broken. We are vicarious dreams and tumbling in space out of control into the mystery. Resist me to hear you say it. Whatever you do, I will be there. Son, I will follow you anywhere to the mystery. Thanks so much. So look, we are not ourselves when we're hungry. We all know that. And yet we're hungry for so much more than food. I think we know that too. When we were made, we were made by the mystery of community for the mystery of community. This is why acceptance and belonging are so elemental to the abundant life. It's why we begin with belonging here. And I think one of the things that that is leaving this life back to normal that we all say that we're experiencing, why, what's leaving it so unsatisfying for so many is that we're pretty good now about being back in the crowd again, but I'm not sure that we've stepped out of the crowd back into community yet. Maybe we're suffering from community insecurity. And that is a hunger that will haunt us because it goes against how we were made emotionally, biologically, and spiritually. And so for me, this miracle of the feeding of the 5,000, it's a miracle, no doubt, but it's also a sign. And it's a sign pointing me 
to this question. Have I stepped out of the crowd? Am I willing to follow him into the mystery of community? Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you for this time and this place and this opportunity to be together. There is so much you are pointing us toward in this miracle. When the disciples saw the hungry crowd and told you to send them away, you turned to them and you said, you feed them. And it is such a reminder to us that stepping out of the crowd is also about stepping into a community that is about cultivating community for those who seek to live like you and, and who, who, to live for you. If we're going to follow you, we are going to hear you say to us, you feed them. God, I pray that you break our hearts so that we would be a community like that. That's called, that community of people like that is called your church. And it's about cultivating gracious, inclusive, and loving community. I pray that today, this week, you'll show us just how hungry for that and for you and for the mystery of communion with you and community with one another that we all are. As we leave this morning, I pray that you would help us to grow and remain open, alert, expectant, and dependent on you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Folks, thank you so much for coming. Hope you have a great, have a great day.